Welcome to the DevReady podcast, where we're helping non-techs build better tech. Today, I am joined by Caitlin Budge, CEO of Clarified Solutions. Welcome, Caitlin. Thank you very much, Anthony, for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you on board. Um, so I've uh, been talking to Caitlin through LinkedIn. I've met her online. I um, thought it'd be great to get her on board. Um, I'll let her explain what she does herself because I'll probably butcher it. So <laughs> I'll let you go, Caitlin, and put that through. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Anthony, uh, for the invite today. So in essence, I'm a specialist business writer. I focus on government grants and tenders and investment documents. So when we talk about the government, we're talking all levels, local, state and federal, and that's any business based within Australia, any of the states or territories. Yeah, and is it focused only on the grants or you said specialised business writers, is there other things that you work on? Absolutely. So I also complete tenders, government tenders and investment documents. And by that, I mean everything from pitch decks through to business plans or information memorandums for series a or series b raises okay interesting it's quite a spread i'm sure there's um a variety of sort of a different focus that you have to put into each sort of document that you're doing especially from a pitch deck versus a a, um, a grant similar but Absolutely. i'm sure there's some difference there very different <laughs> with very different strategies um, and businesses that are at, um, various stages of their evolution Yep. So our audience is, I think we have a lot of startups that listen. So this would be some good information out there if you're trying to look for funding or a way to approach some other funding outside of your normal means or bootstrapping it yourself. And I know grants are something that gets thrown around a lot by people, like the word, go look for a grant and get some money. Seems like a, a quick and easy thing to do. But the few that we've been involved in or looked at, it's not as straightforward as everyone thinks. Um, is there any sort of tips or advice you'd give to anyone out there who's looking at trying to approach for a grant first and what they could Absolutely. do? Absolutely. Yes. Okay. So the first three things I would recommend is do your research. Make sure first and foremost that you are eligible as per all the criteria before you even pursue or assign any time at all to that grant. Uh, if you're not eligible, let it be. And that may be indefinitely or it could be until you've met those particular criteria. The second thing to do is to be really clear on your why. Why are you looking for specifically grant funding? What would it be used towards and how much do you need as an approximate budget? Then what I would suggest is that you think within your business, if you're a solopreneur or you have a few team members, who are the best people to handle that application? Who has the technical knowledge, the operations knowledge, the financial knowledge that you need? Or do you have external um, CFOs or people that you may need to consult? So that's before you even start the application, just get your foundation straight and that will save you a huge amount of stress and time in the future. Yep. And with the grants, most of them do make their eligibility or all of them should make their eligibility criteria clear, I'm, I'm guessing. Generally speaking, although I have a hint for your listeners, read yep. the grant guidelines. Don't okay. just read the summary because they always have additional eligibility criteria in there. And the assumption that the assessors make is that you've read all documents provided. Okay. And those grant guidelines will explain, so probably the tone or not the tone, but like what you should be talking about, the key points and how to, beyond just the criteria and how to actually write the grant? 
Oh, it tells you everything in a great amount of detail. So from how to actually write the grant itself uh, through to the actual application process from the start to finish and the timelines you can expect or anticipated timelines. Um, it even goes into liability. So what you'd be liable for, what you need to report on if you're successful with that application process what your eligible expenditure is, it's really your um, Bible. You know, it's it's got all the information contained that you'll need to know about the grant. Um, and there are also sometimes condensed versions of those grant guidelines called um, frequently asked questions, so FAQ forms. Oh, okay. All right, so yeah, they, they do provide you with everything you need to make a successful application. And then it's really yes. up to you to find the right person in your team to put that all together, or Absolutely. a person such as yourself, if it's you don't have the time or capacity to do it. Indeed, indeed. And one thing that I think, and Anthony, I'm sure you're very used to this, you know, being a director of a business, it's a cost benefit analysis and also time cost analysis. Is it worth your time to do this application? And if you can estimate how many hours you would spend doing it and then cost out your time, if the amount you would receive is significant, is the same or even less than the cost to the business, don't do the application is my suggestion. Okay, because, yeah, there's not a guarantee that you're going to get in anything. Um, do you see that there's probably a some miscommunication or like not understanding from a business perspective what applying for a grant means or how much work is actually involved? I'm sure you get a lot of people that just think, oh, I can get a for a grant. It won't be too hard to apply and I'll get some money. Absolutely. Look, Anthony, I listen to certain cues for my clients to make sure that they're the right fit for me because I'm going on this journey with them and it's not a quick one. Average grant applications from my experience over the last four and a half years last anywhere from three months is a very fast application from beginning to the final um, outcome through to 12, uh, 18 months was a recent successful application I put through. A very complex one, but uh, people need to be in it for the long term. And People also need to be collaborative. It's not a matter of uh, putting some documents together and hoping for the best. Uh, it needs to be regular check-in processes and time assigned for it every single week to work on that application. Yeah, they have to make a commitment to work with you, not just hand it all off. So, Absolutely, yes. On that, say, three-month to 18-month, those two different, very different timeframes, is... Can we just assume that the longer the duration it took, so the 18-month one was a larger grant, or is it just that the That's process correct. was more involved? Look, it usually correlates, but you're right in saying the longer um, the application time, uh, the normally the more complex uh, the grant application. However, in that instance, which I'm referring to, it's because the grant was temporarily put on hold. Ah, so it was actually yeah. outside of the um, you know control of the applicant. The general rule of thumb. Okay. But generally, exactly. yeah, so the... The larger the grant, the more time and more effort needs to be put in. And Absolutely, then the vetting process, I'm assuming their end of reviewing and doing everything is also going to take a lot longer. That's exactly right. And that due diligence phase is crucial. So it's an emphasis that I place very strongly on the application process. And I actually recommend businesses to really slow down and do it thoroughly because when they press that go button and really decide to commit to it, that's it. You just need to be all in for the full process. Um, also bear in mind, the government keep records of every application that businesses put in, whether successful or unsuccessful. So you're leaving a digital footprint, which can be referred to at any time, 
So it's very important to be very strategic and clear as to what you're applying for. I always um, try to dissuade people from just applying for lots of different grants um, with half-baked applications. It's not a good look and it will actually damage the reputation of that business from an application perspective. Okay, I did not know that. So the government then, when they're doing their due diligence and reviewing your application, they can actually check all your other previous applications for oh, quality yes. and information, see if things align, if they're different businesses or ideas, or you're just throwing darts yes. at the wall and seeing what sticks. Exactly. So that's why it's important, and I always recommend looking at, looking at the opportunity like a grant ecosystem. So, for example, if you have unsuccessful grants in the past, what is it you can do to review those and learn from them? If you have successful grants, why were they successful? If you've never applied for anything before, how are you going to start? You know, what are going to be some of those um, expectations that you set for yourself and your team? And what standard of application do you want to be submitting? Okay. From my mind, it like a strategy would be go for some small ones first to test the waters and see if you can get them and understand what's involved and then mm. go to the bigger ones. Is that something you sort of recommend or is it just see what the best fit is? Look, that's a really good question. And that comes down to individual business strategies. My suggestion is for much smaller scale grants for a very, very new startup where they may um, not be cash flow positive yet. Um, it may be fairly new to the business directors themselves to actually be running a business. Yes, start with some smaller scale grants. I would highly recommend though that those grants are at least in the ballpark figure of $20,000, $30,000 plus because for a $5,000 grant, the time taken to submit it, it's actually not worth the $5,000 even if successful because you'll spend more on the actual process and the commitment of time for those directors to be involved. Um, but when it comes to businesses that are a little bit more mature, maybe um, their um, directors have come from another successful business in, say, the tech space, for example, and are now setting up another venture, I'd actually recommend they consider sort of more mid-tier grants. So that's more around the $100,000 to $300,000 mark um, because they'll most likely have a more substantial project to actually be working on. Um, but this is something where I recommend that people reach out to specialists to actually weigh up what their starting point would be. My, for myself, um, this due diligence phase is actually complimentary. It doesn't cost people anything until I'm engaged on a project, on a specific grant, and I can actually guide people. And more often than not, I say to people, sometimes even just wait six months until you have more of a pipeline of sales or... Um, you know, reapproach this in 12 months when the business is more mature, or yes, you're grant ready um, based upon certain criteria, let's get researching and looking. Um, but people basically need to be quite patient, um, very clear on what they're doing, and also have that contingency to be able to afford um, to pay for assistance if they need it, or to co-contribute to the grant. Now, that's something totally different, Anthony. So a lot of grants require what's called a co-contribution, Usually that's in the form of 50-50. So a business needs to be ready if they're applying for, say, $100,000 to have $100,000 in the pipeline of sales or as available cash or equivalents to put towards that application and that project. So future sales can be counted in that, like getting a contract signed. It doesn't have to be just cash in the bank. Yes, yes, absolutely. So what you need to do is actually have um, a letter from that prospective client, um, and that letter would need to um, detail 
what that opportunity is um, and what the value of that opportunity is as well, just so that uh, people can um, actually cross-check that and to mitigate the risk of um, that particular application process. Okay. I was, I was unaware of having the future income be counted as part of that. Potentially. Look, it's a case by case. Some grants, they want that capital upfront. Others, if you, for example, have a letter from your board or have letter from um, clients that are about to be engaged, um, and then a summary of uh, what that dollar amount looks like for that engagement um, and the period of time. Maybe, for example, you have in the pipeline a contract for a year and a half to supply um, $150,000 worth of goods or services, um, and that's going to be written, um, signed off by the CEO of that other business requiring those goods or services, then yes, you can sometimes put those letters actually as a means to demonstrate that you can meet your obligations financially. Okay. Because yeah, in the spaces I've been in, I've only ever heard that those match funding grants are useful for saying to look for investor, investor funding. Because then you can get, subject to you getting the grant, you'll get their funding in. So it's, it helps drive their, like push their dollar further. It's double the investment you're getting effectively from the investor almost. That's right, Anthony. And look, that's really wonderful that you've actually heard about that. People often don't think about that opportunity as well. Um, to receive a government grant is very helpful in terms of accessing um, external investor, as in private investor funding. Uh, businesses often do that. They just are leveraging their first success in a grant application process in order to get external funding as their end goal. The reason being is that the government applications for the grants is so stringent that if the government has put people through their paces, then the investor feels a lot more assured that they're actually ready to uh, put that money to the best use. Yeah, sort of like outsourced their due diligence from the investor level. <laughs> yes, well said, yep. So, so just touching on the investors, then you do work on pitch decks, you said, and uh, memorandums for Series B, well, I think it was B and C, you said? B and A. B and A. And then there was something else you said it meant you helped with on the investor. It's not just pitch decks, it was something else. Is there something else you do with investors? Business plans. Business yeah, plans. Okay. so business plans. So either reviewing existing business plans or um, assisting a business to scaffold a new business plan. Okay, so in doing, say, the business plans, if, so, if a startup was approaching you, um, would they have to have something ready or would you help them, sorry, do you help them just write it, write up the business plan or do you help them with the business planning? So what their future goals, sales ah, and things are. Okay, absolutely. Look, I think I would start with that second um, point that you've mentioned. First, they have to be very clear in what their goals are before you can write anything. Um, or if they have an existing business plan and what their goals are now, it's not really lining up with what their goals were previously, then that's a different discussion. One thing that's important to note that I don't advise on because of um, liabilities and qualifications and so on is I don't advise on any legal components or financial components within that business plan because that's something that is not my specific area of expertise. I'm a business strategist. So I can assist them in how to uh, really package up um, whatever product or service they're offering. I can assist them in talking about the operational functions of how they're going to deliver, whatever that might be, or the supply chain or whatever it is specifically they need. Um, I can advise on how they can actually frame, um, you know, requests for investment. But those specific dollars that they're asking for, that's for them to determine. 
Yep. Yeah, well, that, that's their business. They need to understand what exactly. their, pres- yeah, their um, forecast looks like, the actual sales and all that. Understand. Um, I'm sure pitch decks will be something a lot of people will be either working on or have worked on and would be pretty interested in learning. Um, how are you finding that process? Has that been sort of growing over recent years with a lot more startups happening, especially since everyone's working from home and looking to do things on like side hustles, as they call them? Yeah, no, that's a really thoughtful question. So one um, network that I'm involved with is called Silicon Beach. It's a really interesting, predominantly tech startup um, incubator, I would call it. So what they do is they advise and assist um, tech startups and other types of startups in how to actually effectively pitch an idea, how to put a pitch tech together, how to actually uh, verbally present um, their pitch to a group of investors or um, people in the industry who maybe can advise. So that's called Silicon Beach. It's, it's a fantastic um, organization. Please look into it if you'd yeah, like we to. We had um, David, the current CEO of Silicon Beach, David on the episode Hauser. last week. Yeah, we had him last oh, week on really? an episode. Yep. Oh, fantastic. Okay, he's yeah, he's a good uh, good friend of mine and colleague. I've known him for several years, and his mission and vision is is extraordinary. So um, good good on them. And so basically, in terms of your question, I have noted that a lot of people are putting pitch decks together. And I have noted common pitfalls as well, of where people really uh, fall down um, in their application processes. So one thing that I've noted is that people do not consider their specific audience. Like with any sort of application, you have to tailor a pitch deck. Not all pitch decks are the same. Not all pitch decks will be um, placed in the same order, with the same uh, depth of information, um, with the same style of formatting, um, and so on. It's very important to actually hone in on who is your audience whilst you're creating a pitch deck. One example of that can be length of pitch deck. I always get asked, what's the magic number of slides? Well, how complex is your solution? How much are you asking for? Um, you know, what sort of history, level, degree of history does the business have that sits behind it? Um, how do you represent your concept or your product or your service? Is it a visual representation that's helpful or is it more a narrative? You've got to explain what it is you're doing. That will all lead towards how many slides. Now, for a business, for example, that's asking in the, in the approximity of, say, 100000 to $500,000 investment, I would say anywhere from about eight to 12 slides is perfect. Um, Beyond that, you've got to think, okay, um, the person that's reading through that pitch deck may have several others to compare at the same point in time. And are they really going to see it out and actually read in detail your pitch deck if it goes beyond that length? If you're asking for more in dollar figures than that amount, then my suggestion would be to slightly increase the number of slides to about 15. But I would highly recommend almost no pitch decks exceed 18 slides. It just becomes a journal, a long, okay. you know, lengthy diatribe, and people honestly will not read it. Um, and also bearing in mind what is the purpose of a pitch deck? It's a quick snapshot of what you're presenting and what you're requiring. That's it. If you want to put a supporting document with it, a business plan, that's where you put the detail. In, just trying to phrase how I'm going to ask the question. What was I going to say? So with the the length of the pitch deck, do you still mm. run it like you're doing a presentation where it's very minimal words on the slides? Or is it 
because generally they're being presented and then they get sent off to be read after from what the experience I've seen. Yeah, absolutely. Look, when you're presenting a pitch deck, you don't have to read everything on it. You can just extrapolate the key points. So my suggestion would actually be, because you're absolutely right, it will be sent off. It will be um, received by whoever your audience is, and, and then they can do their due diligence and their deeper reading. So I would recommend don't necessarily strip it down to the point where it's nonsensical for someone to read who has no context on it um, and may not have had it presented to them. I'd say include a moderate level of detail, but when presenting, focus on your value proposition. Focus on the quality of your team who are delivering that product or service. Focus on your vision and your mission and really build that story and compel the person to want to know more. That's what a pitch deck is all about. Okay. So from my small research on pitch decks and things like that, um, the current model that most people do, I think it's like based on the Sequoia Capital, like their type of pitch deck that they receive. So it's 8 to 15 or 10 to 15 slides, which is... Who are you? What problem are you solve? What problem are you solving? How are you solving it? What's the market? Uh, what's the team? Along those lines, really, is that the structure you sort of recommend people following, or is there something that you've seen a shift over the last few years where it's sort of changing from that? Because if you Google how to write a pitch deck, it's the same eleven slides are presented to everyone. Precisely. So then you have to think to yourself: Do I want to be presenting my pitch deck in exactly the same manner as everyone else? What are the benefits and then the negatives to doing so? One of the negatives, for example, can be that you really don't stand out and it just really fades into the background and people tune out because they're just so used to seeing information presented in exactly the same way. There needs to be some subtle sometimes point of difference. And that can also be in the quality of your formatting. As mundane as this sounds, it's really sad for me to see that people let themselves down on purely on the formatting when that is something that is so avoidable. What I mean by formatting is just the quality of the visuals. It needs to grab someone. You need to have consistency of font sizes, of colours, of branding, if you've got to that point. A branded pitch deck is so much more coherent and interesting than something that has a white background, black text, no images, um, no flow charts. Try and represent as many things as you can in a in a in an image or in in some maybe even in a, a video um, that's embedded within that pitch deck, for example, that you could demonstrate in a presentation or if you are sending um, a uh, electronic copy of that file to someone. Okay, I think so. I I subscribe to Medium, so Medium.com. Yes. And I get their daily like things I might read. And in one of those is occasionally it's this is the pitch deck Airbnb used to raise hundred million dollars or whatever it was. If you look at any of those big tech businesses from ten years ago, their pitch decks are terrible. They're ugly. <laughs> so I think I don't know if that's sending the wrong impression to people and they don't think about the design and the formatting and that they're selling a story and they need everything to be packaged a certain way. Because if you compare it to those they may be consistent, but they look crap. <laughs> I like the way that you're putting that. Look, I think it's, it's, it's things need to go hand in hand. How, for example, this is one way of putting it in a different way. If you were to go to present your idea to a boardroom of prospective investors, how would you present yourself? Would you wear clothing that's crumpled and, you know, has been worn several days in a row and you jump out of bed 
Uh, you're not really particularly awake. You haven't groomed yourself nicely. You haven't prepared yourself by maybe researching what the background is of those people you're speaking to. No. It's exactly the same thing with the pitch deck. Spelling errors. As I said, fonts that are not, you know, slides um, maybe just having inconsistent formatting. I've seen um, instances where there's some slides are numbered, um, bottom right-hand corner, some aren't. It's those small details because what those small details say is how do you as a business operate? Are you really someone that pays close attention to detail? Therefore, the larger message of what that sends is how safe is an investor's money in your hands? All you're doing is trying to reduce risk in their eyes. 100%. And give them the create best chance. Trust. Yeah, create trust and create, give them the, chance, yeah. the, the best chance of their investment succeeding. Exactly. So, how is their return going to be somewhat guaranteed? Of course, nothing is guaranteed, but how can you reduce the risk of it not being? And what is the manner in which you want to be interacting with them in a highly professional way or in a way that looks a bit more sloppy? And that's yeah. the choice of a business owner. It's how, how do you want to be perceived, really? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Okay. Um, do you get a... Um, so in your line of work, do you get more... Is it more grant work or is it more sort of the investor or startup side where people are coming towards you or is it a mixture of both? Or And we'll touch on tenders after. Absolutely. Look, there's a mixture of both. Last year was very grant heavy um, for myself. There were so many opportunities, although it seems to be swinging more towards um, private investors now, given that there's a few pauses on grant programs at the moment. For example, in New South Wales, um, they currently have all grant programs on hold because they're reviewing their entire grant uh, system uh, because of um, some unfortunate mismanagement uh, over the last few years, which is publicly available information. Um, so I'm focusing now more on assisting those businesses that are looking um, down other avenues for investment. Yeah. And since you mentioned the Silicon Beach and you're working heavily there, do you primarily work with sort of the tech startups or is it any sort of business that comes through to you? Good question, Anthony. So, look, I do have a few criteria for the businesses that I work with. Um, I've worked across 13 different industries. That includes construction, financial services, tech, software and hardware. Um, I've worked in the sports industry. I've worked with health and wellbeing. Um, I've worked across a very broad range. Oh, um, advanced manufacturers, FMCG. I've worked across a lot of different industries. What I note amongst my clients is a common attitude um, they are very clear on what their purpose is and what their project is, and also they're committed to um, the application process. So it's not necessarily what industry, because all of these skills are applicable broadly. It's more what their attitude is, and also are they grant ready? And there's a few uh, checklists that I have within my business that can assess that. I'm sure you, you share that with most people anyway, so they can get an understanding. So that's your gateway to get in and make sure that they're the right partner to work with. Absolutely. Absolutely. So once I commit to a client, I'm committed to them for the long term. I have clients in the past who've won grant opportunities with me, and I still check in with them. If I see, um, you know, conventions that are on, um, I'll send them details of it, you know, and they really appreciate that because once they're a client of mine, they're always a client, and their success is, is mine too. So um, I really invest in that, that business relationship. Yeah, it becomes a long-term partnership because you can write and format a document, but without having mm. them to provide you the knowledge and context to help you understand what they're doing, you won't be able to give that, get that result and finalize that submission or application or pitch deck or whatever it may be. 
Hundred percent. That's exactly right, Anthony. So with so you work across the grants, tenders, and the investor sort of startup phase. With tenders versus grants, I know that's another place that businesses tend to go to. We've barely looked at tenders in our business. It's sort of in the too hard basket sometimes. <laughs> I find them personally that you don't get enough detail up front, and then they have this huge here fill out this excel sheet and say where you apply what can be customized and things like that but you end up with so many questions that they don't get answered and it's in my mind big government projects go over budget because they go through this process there isn't enough time to understand the detail of the project so people estimate and then nope it's not enough so we need more is is that something that you think as well or is it just oh, that's my sort of narrow view of these I don't think that's a narrow view at all. I think that really accurately represents the process. So basically, from my experience with tenders, of which, I mean, for example, last year we won an $8 million tender. So, you know, I've worked on some significant scale tenders. Yeah, that's not a small thing to have applied for. No, not at all. So with tenders, it's very interesting because unlike grants, the boundaries, the limits are prescribed. So they have a very specific need. They've already defined it, the government source, for example, and they're tendering to the market to see who can provide the best, and they call this value for money, and who can deliver it in a reasonable time frame um, and in a manner which is in keeping with how they want to approach the project, whatever it is that they've determined that to be. You're absolutely right in saying that sometimes the level of detail that they put into um, those application um, uh, documents is limited. Why? Because often they don't determine that there's a need for that um, particular uh, project until almost when the project is, is necessary to begin. So often there, I've noted, is, is a fairly rushed um, effort to put that information together. Whereas, for example, in contrast with grant application processes, there are a lot of internal meetings that happen prior to those documents being released. It's a lengthy process because the pool of funding that's being placed towards it can be in the hundreds of millions, tens of millions, hundreds, or even billions. So tenders, yes, they are basically operating in many instances I've experienced as they go. Plus what they can sometimes be doing is actually going to market to see where the current market sits. What is the pricing structure that people would be um, applying for? And also it's very important with tender applications is it a panel that you would be allowed to sit on of suppliers or would you be the preferred supplier? Be very clear in determining which one because if it's a panel of suppliers, that of course, once again, limits your opportunity to be the chosen supplier. Those um, where you're the panel or preferred, they're two different sort of tenders, aren't they? Because the preferred is you've, you've yet chosen for the project. The other Correct. is you just qualify for a the short, the short list effectively of suppliers that then get chosen or do they have to then submit a, a further tender from that short list to go through through the project? I'm not sure how that part works. That's a good question, Anthony. So um, absolutely. So when you're a preferred supplier, that means that you are the one. You're the person they go to immediately and you need to be ready to deliver that project whenever they call you to do so. Um, and when you're on a set on a panel, that means that uh, you are still in competition with those around you, but you don't know what the, the prices that they've asked. You don't know um, what benefits or added value add they're, they're giving. So you're competing in sort of a blind um, sort of way. Uh, so it's still very challenging. Um, to be on a preferred panel, look, it depends on what 
uh, the tender is for. If it's something where there's a huge demand for it and there actually may be several preferred suppliers required to deliver it because it's just such a large scale project, then those are great tenders to be part of with a, a panel um, you know, that's available. But for those which really just will require for security reasons, for example, in a, in a tech sense, um, they just want one supplier because you may be going in, for example, and doing um, very large data migration projects is one, for example, I was previously involved in a tender application um, uh, where there was you know, a public organisation and they needed a, a very large scale Microsoft data um, migration. And of course, you wouldn't want multiple suppliers working on that because then they can cross their wires and you can have a serious problem <laughs> for that organisation with data mm, flying around everywhere. Definitely. Mm. So with the, the tenders for, say, smaller businesses, I know I've read at times that there are sort of programs where they allow the smaller businesses to sort of compete on certain things or there's like a preferred program to have them in the process as well. So it's not just the same pool of people applying all the time. Do you see yes. that when they do have that process, do they actually choose the smaller people <laughs> from experience or is it like, oh. is it worth doing that and going, all right, we're a smaller guy, we'll try and compete because they've got this policy in place, but should we even bother? That's a challenging question. It really comes down to determining how competitive is your pricing because that's going to be your point of difference. You don't have a point of difference of being an established business that has all of these past successes to point at um, and that's therefore to be chosen due to. If you have very competitive pricing and a very high quality of service you can deliver, then potentially. But if the answer is that, well, you have industry average pricing. You can't deliver it for less because you don't have the capacity to do that yet because of the stage of your startup. My, my suggestion in that instance would probably be wait. Give yourself six months, give yourself 12 months to get more of those customer testimonials through so that that's your point of difference. Okay, so you can actually use them as part of the application to try and oh, yes. evidence. Okay. All right, so a lot of information to take in there across <laughs> all those areas. Um, if you were, say, one of those people out at Silicon Beach and you're looking at doing the start a startup and progressing with your idea, would you suggest any of the, say, a grant versus a tender versus a pitch deck or like investor funding as first point of call? So mm. you're, not a nap you're not an idea in a napkin. You've established you've been able to get something off the ground. You've got some revenue coming in and you need to ramp up. What would be your first point of call for one of those three? Or okay. you might have so, to assess the business. My suggestion is they each feed into each other and they represent varying degrees of complexity. The first thing you would start with is a pitch deck to actually be able to clearly express what it is you are offering. Then once that is very clearly defined, I would consider grants, then I would consider tenders. Tenders are complex as we've already just discussed and also um, there has to be experience within the business to be able to deliver what it is they're asking for. So I would say that that's the end of the line in terms of those three different options. Um, I think it's just a good practice as a business to come together and be very clear as a whole on what it is you're wanting to do, what it is you need funding-wise. Often what's required in a grant application anyway is a business plan or an operations plan or a project plan. Depends what they call it. It's all very similar type of documents. Yep. So you'll actually need that document anyway. And that actually brings me to a point. So with these application processes, no time is really wasted because these documents can be repurposed. So for example, if you're creating any documentation, even things like org charts, 
um, you know, making sure your P&L is up to date and, and so on. Those are very useful uh, documents for investment discussions, but also internal business discussions as well um, and strategic discussions. So I would suggest that people view this application process as more than just that narrow focus of what is it immediately I'm applying for and think of the broader picture of what are you also working towards by investing yeah, in time. It helps you plan and think about strategize your business a little bit more. That's it. So, yeah, the way I see the three things, it's sort of the grants and the investor stream is more you get to market. Your tenders are you're an established, it's just how to take the business up to a level with a government contract and then that can help you get more funding in the next series, in the next round or something like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. To be able to successfully deliver on a government contract, that says a lot about a business. Because you can imagine as well, there's a huge amount of communication that goes back and forth throughout that entire process. You're also going to be heavily audited. So it shows that you have the capacity to deliver very high level paperwork um, to demonstrate how it is you're executing that project. So it, it goes way beyond that initial application. This is why I'm saying that's a real commitment uh, to do these applications. Yep, I can, I can understand that now after this discussion. Yes. Well, I'd like to thank you for your time today, Caitlin. Um, if anyone wants to find out more about you or reach out, how can they do that? Absolutely. So feel free to reach out through LinkedIn, um, Caitlin Budge, or you can go to my website, www.clarifiedsolutionservices.com, and we'd be more than happy to have a discussion with you. And we'll put all those links in the show notes. Well, once again, Caitlin, thank you so much. It's been a great chat, and I think I've learned a lot, so hopefully everyone else has. Wonderful. Thank you, Anthony. And uh, to all the listeners, all the best with all your applications and um, enjoy the process.